0: You can go ahead and open up to Genesis 22. I'm going to um, tell you a story. It's one of the more uh, well-known stories uh, in the Genesis narrative. Um, if If you watch the news, if you read the news and track with what's going on. This week is yet another reminder of just the, the brokenness and the tragedy that unfolds every day in our world. And I actually found myself this week in response to um, tragic events happening, like reminded again of like the simplicity of just, "I there's so many things out there that I don't have control over." And yet, here I am, Aaron Weiser, in this place at this time. And I have the opportunity today to come before the Lord and allow Him to bring about the change and transformation in my life as His ambassador. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to enter into this very simple story, a familiar story, and ask God just to meet us here. Uh, This is a story that speaks to God's character. It's a story that speaks to our condition. And I'm going to do two things with this story. I'm going to tell you the story, but then I'm going to look at the story kind of from the ground perspective. This is the story of Abraham, so I'm going to tell it uh, from kind of the, the perspective of him and his experience with God. And then I want to back up and kind of look at the story from a bird's eye view of God's redemptive history. Because remember, from Genesis 1 all the way until the moment we're in right now, God has been up to something. And this story has uh, something to say about his plan. So here's the story. Genesis 22, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and Abraham responded, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Can I just acknowledge that this is a problematic story? This seems to be a little bit out of line with the character and nature of God as we know him. I'm gonna suggest too, and we'll unpack this after I'm done with the story, that there's actually more going on you know, in our day today, there's a lot of discussion about, you know, in the realm of psychology about father wounds, you know, our dad's messed up, and now I'm messed up. I would place this in that category. <laughs> so Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and he took Isaac, his son. He split wood for the burnt offering, and they went together to the place which God had told him, the land of Moriah. And after traveling for three days, Abraham saw the the location off in the distance, and he said to his young men, I want you to stay here with the donkey, and me and my son, we're going to go over there And we will worship God, and we will return to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, and he put it on Isaac's back, gave him a pack. And Abraham took in his hand the fire for the altar, for the sacrifice, and the knife. And the two of them walked on together. And Isaac, like an attentive son, said to Abraham, um, Dad, yes, son, uh, so we have fire, we have wood, but we don't have a lamb for the burnt offering. And Abraham said, God will provide for himself, the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them walked on together, and they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there. He arranged the wood, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, it's about time. Here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against your son. Do nothing to him. I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son to me. And then Abraham raised his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him there was a ram, a sheep, caught in a thicket by his horns. So Abraham went up, took the ram, and offered the ram as a burnt offering in the place of his son. And so Abraham called the name of that place, The Lord Will Provide. In fact, it is said to this day, in the mountain of the Lord it will be provided And then the angel of the Lord called to Hameram a second time from heaven, and he said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing, you have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven, as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies, and in your seed all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. And so Abraham returned to his young men. And they arose and they went to Beersheba. And Abraham lived in Beersheba. There you go. It's just a typical Saturday afternoon outing, father, son. So I want to make three observations from this story. But we have something in this story which is a rarity... In the biblical narrative it's actually very rare that the writer tells us what the story is about or what the point of the story is but in this case the writer tells us says now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham so what's going on God is testing him right this is a test My ninth grade English teacher, Miss Woolerton, I don't know if you guys experienced this. She said at the end of the semester, I want you to write down the grade that you think you deserve and then give me a defense of your uh, decision. Anyone else have to do that? That was very confusing for me. I didn't know how to process that. God's testing Abraham... So here's my first observation from this story. Today's gift from God is tomorrow's idol. Today's gift from God is tomorrow's idol. And this is what I mean by that. God gives me something wonderful, something I don't deserve, something I cherish and value, and I go, that was so kind. And then slowly, lock my grasp on that blessing of God and become more attached to that thing than I am to the one who provided it for me. Wasn't it God who made these promises about his son? You remember the story? We've been going through it. It was his idea. It was his plan. It was his miraculous supernatural provision. A son in their old age, at the age of a 100 years, And 90, which means there's hope for some of you. (laughs) And it was God who said, back in Genesis 15, one will come forth from your own body who will be your heir. Does God need Abraham to give birth to a boy so that God could take that boy back? Abraham, remember how I promised that you would miraculously have a son in your old age? Well, that was cool and everything, but I actually need him for me. The human tendency, the human condition is to take the things that God gives and then make those the object of our worship. I would suggest, and I think this story suggests... That the way we receive and enjoy all of God's most precious gifts is always a test. What is the thing that you cherish the most in your life right now? Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Financial blessing? Maybe it's your physical health. If you're like me, maybe one of your most cherished gifts in, in all of life is brief moments of peace and quiet. Those things that we cherish the most quickly become our idols they quickly become the thing that uh, is our greatest attachment, receives our greatest affection, in which we find our greatest enjoyment. And anything that receives my greatest attachment, my greatest affection or enjoyment, other than God, is an idol. Does anyone here feel like in the last 12 months you've lost anything that was valuable to you? God says to Abraham I'm going to find out uh, where your heart is at I want you to give up your son God recognized that his greatest gift to Abraham had the potential to ruin Abraham Today's gift from God is tomorrow's idol but here's the second truth And this is so critical, I think, to properly understanding this story and understanding what God is up to. Number two, God is the greater giver. Always, 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 always. God is the greater giver. Listen carefully to what Abraham says. Picking it up actually in verse five, he says to his servants, "Uh, I want you to stay here with the donkey. Me and the lad will go over there. We will worship and return to you. Abraham says, we're going to go over there. We're going to worship God, and we're going to come back. And then in verse 7, Isaac speaks up and says to his father, "Uh, Dad, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham responds, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And so the two of them walked on together. Abraham believed his conviction based on his relationship with God. Abraham believed that he was on the precipice of receiving and experiencing God's provision. Rather than believing that he was about to provide for God. Abraham believes. He says to his son, to his servants, uh, speaks out of this conviction. We're going to witness God providing for himself that which he requires. After all, what can Abraham give to God that was not already given to him? What does Abraham have? that he didn't receive as a blessing, as a gift from God, that he could give back to God. My vest is losing feathers. I'm just now out of the stage of parenting where I have small kids in my house. But Christmas is fun with small children. It goes something like this. Five-year-old child goes with mom to Ulmer's to pick out a gift for dad with my money. Mom sets a budget. Five-year-old peruses the shelves at Ulmer's and oftentimes, in my case, decides on a meat stick. You know, one of those, what is it, Jimmy John or something, pepperoni stick that's way too big. That's what dad needs. That is what dad would go bananas for. Buys a meat stick, brings it home, wraps it up, paper that I bought, and gives me the gift of a meat stick for Christmas. And I, of course, act like I don't know what it is, right? What could be long and bendy and smell like pepperoni? I don't know. (laughs) unwrap the gift and say to my child, you know, I have been, I have been saving. I've been trying to budget. I've been trying to like get by and put aside enough money for so long in order to afford for myself a meat steak. And then you preempted that and provided one for me out of the generosity of your heart. What a gift! No, I actually say all those things to my children. (laughs) Psalms 50 verse 10, every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't bother you with the information for the world is mine and all it contains. Do you think that I need the flesh of bulls or the, the blood of male goats to satisfy my appetite? God is always the greater giver in the relationship. And I would suggest it's a difficult burden to bear when we believe that that in giving things to God and in making sacrifices to Him, that we're trying to satisfy a need of His. At the end of surrendering everything that I have, everything that I am, I'm only left with the realization of how far short my everything falls. As a gift to the God who has made everything. Some people actually look at this predicament and they say, well, I mean, God made everything, he owns everything, so he doesn't need me to give anything. Would you understand that gospel generosity, a generous life, giving away my, my time, my resources, my talents, is an expression of God's worth, not his need. Romans eleven thirty five. 35, who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. God is the greater giver. Abraham says, no, I know that God has asked me to give this. But what do I have that's not already His, that I have not already received from His hand? My expectation is that what's ahead of us is, a, is an even more compelling example of God's generosity towards me. I believe that God's going to provide another miracle. And God did. Which leads us to number three. And this is where we have to kind of like uh, elevate ourselves and look at this in the context of redemptive history. Number three, God's greatest gift is his substitute. This story, this whole story, is is a prophetic foreshadowing of future events. The Lord said, Do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, Just as he had anticipated, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. In the mount of the Lord it will be provided. This is the land of Moriah. God says to Abraham, I want to, I'm going to paint a picture for future generations of a spiritual reality. But I want to do this in a specific place. We actually only hear the name Moriah mentioned one more time. So when Solomon built the temple, he builds it on the Mount of Moriah. This is is Jerusalem, this is the future location of the greatest gift that mankind has ever received when God, not withholding his only begotten son, offered his son as a substitute. Because after all, even if Abraham offers his only son, the sacrifice would be insufficient. God says, no, I'm, I'm telling a bigger story. And if you'll be obedient to me, I'd like to paint a picture of what I will do. Abraham says, first, I believe that God's going to come through. He's going to provide the sacrifice. And then he names the place. Sure enough, God did it. He's the one that provided what I needed. Because God is the greater giver, he will give to us what we could not give to him. Because God is the greater giver, through the substitutionary sacrifice of his one and only son, God has given us the gift of righteousness. Because you remember, sacrifice, substitution, is not the end. It's the pathway through which God has given us the gift of right relationship with him. Philippians 3.9 that I may be found in him, in Jesus, united with him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, meaning I, I do not rely upon the righteousness that I gain by being a good person, but instead that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. The very thing that in my own power I could not provide to God sufficiently, God has provided to me. And so what do I give? What am I left with? What is it that I can offer to the God who has everything, who made everything, to whom everything already belongs? Romans 12:1. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. I have the opportunity right now in response to his goodness, in response to his generosity, in response to the gift of his son through which I have access to God, Right now I can choose to give my very life and my being to Him in relationship with Him, the very purpose for which I was created. God, I know that so many times it happens so frequently in my own life that I flip it around and I work very hard to bring to you or to provide to you something sufficient And yet at the end of the day, I'm left with the realization that the very breath coming out of my own lungs I receive as a gift. You have provided for me everything. God, I pray for for anyone here in this room who is wrestling with the the compelling like need or desire to bring something to you of value, something worthwhile. God, would you give us the capacity to rest in this freedom? You have us. We belong to you. And you have set us free to just enjoy a relationship with you. God, set us free from our idols that grab a hold of our hearts. Let us give our lives to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.